Right. Well, good morning, Docs of Church. How you guys doing? Okay. A couple of enthusiastic people. Guys, I got an idea. I just had this thought when Nick was up here. If you're looking for something fun to do this holiday, when you do, if you do give a gift, you should totally write t- toilet paper on that. Okay. The finance team, you know, numbers are hard. You know, they don't have much fun accounting, but that'll make them laugh and they'll like feel happy and joyful. Okay. So you want to do that? Go for it. Okay. We love the finance team. I'm not saying you guys are nerdy, but kind of are. Okay. So, uh, Anyway, that's not a great way to start a sermon, okay? It's great to have you guys here, okay? Uh, But it's a great day to be together, right? It's almost Christmas. Anybody excited about that? Guys, get a little bit more pumped up, I know. Like, anybody excited about Christmas? Okay. Guys, this past week as we got into this Christmas teaching series, okay, I kind of framed it up for you with the words of the famous Christmas carol that uh, we all know, we, we all sing, Joy to the World, right? We just sang it just a, a few minutes ago. But in that song, we sing these words. Let every heart prepare him room. And Doxa, this is like our posture today. This is what we're gonna do today. But we do, we do this all the time as we gather, but especially as we lead up to Christmas, we're gonna be preparing our hearts to celebrate Jesus, okay? And if you're newer to Doxa and we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you, but my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's great to have you part of our, our family gathering today. For everybody online, I'm super thankful for technology and our crazy smart volunteers that we can gather like this in the midst of all the craziness of 2020, but we miss you. We can't wait for everybody to get back together. But here's where we're at, okay? Grab your Bibles. I want you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one. We're gonna continue looking at the very first Christmas, all right, with today, with the birth of Jesus. And and if you're here and you don't have a Bible, this is kind of like the season for gift giving, right? We'd love to give you the gift of a Bible that every family kind of has its thing. At the Doxa family, our thing is we gather like this, we gather around the Bible and we seek to hear from God. And by his presence and power in our life, we respond to him, thereby becoming more and more into the men and women that he's created us to be. And so if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. On your way out, you can stop at the Welcome Center and grab a couple for your family as our gift uh, to you, okay? Now, before we get into Matthew chapter one, there's another reason to celebrate, okay? Jesus is born, but also one of my best friends, a man that I deeply respect, was born 30 years ago today. It is one of your pastors, Ronald Goebel. So happy birthday, Ronnie. Give it up for Ronnie. He just gave the presidential wave, but you know he loves hugs, but you can't do that right now, I guess, so just go and tell him you'll hug him when this thing's all over, okay? But happy birthday, dude. We, we love you. We're thankful for you. But last week, okay, as we opened up Matthew's gospel, he begins this account of the very first Christmas in a different way, right? He doesn't start with like the, the well-known nativity scene that we're all so familiar with, but instead, in a very peculiar way, right? He kind of starts off by giving us like an ancient Jewish phone book. Remember that? Like he gives us this genealogy, just this long list of names that you come to the Bible and you look at places like this and you just see like 50 names in a row and you ask that question from the surface, it's like, what can we possibly learn about Christmas from this, right? What can we possibly learn about Jesus, but as we got into this and we looked at Jesus's family line, we focused in on two men and two women that were in Jesus's family tree, and we came to like an astounding truth, that God is a father, and he has a family, and all are welcome. And Christmas is really just an invitation to the family of God through faith in Jesus. And as we saw these types of people, these just broken, messed up people that just have crazy backgrounds, we, we learned that, that entrance into the family of God, 
is not contingent on what we do or what we've done or what we keep doing, but it's all about what God has done for us through the man Jesus. This is, this is Christmas. And as we continue to walk our way through the Christmas account today, we're going to enter into the most significant moment with the most significant person throughout the history of the world, the birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's just jump right into this. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18, and this is what we see. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And I'm going to pause here because here's what I want you to know. Whenever I can point out and remind you of the nature of the Bible, I'm always going to stop and I'm always going to do it. But this is kind of where Christianity in the Bible is, is different from like philosophy or spirituality. Because really, it's, it's all about history. And this is so significant to know because in our world, guys, our world and culture is becoming more and more post-Christian. That in our city, which is just filled with, with thoughts of pluralism and relativism and secularism, many people just have a very deluded and malnourished understanding of what the Bible actually is. And if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church or Christianity, I just need to tell you this, that the Bible is primarily a historical book. It's about things that have actually happened, that the God who made the world, the one that we've been studying through Genesis for the last couple of months, the God who made everything is at work in the world, which he made, and he shows up in particular times, in particular ways, and he says particular things throughout history, and this is what the Bible gives us. And maybe you're thinking like, well, I don't know. I mean, that, I don't know if the Bible is actually true, but the historicity of the Bible has not only like stood the test of time, but it stood against like intense academic scrutiny that which just verifies and validates the, the historical truths and the facts that are in the Bible are in fact factual. And so all I have to say, when, when the Bible tells us this, if you look back that Jesus came in this way, all right, what this means is that we know exactly how Jesus came. We know how he stepped down from eternity and into human history because God was faithful to give us an account rooted in historical facts of how he came into the world. And we see that his name is Jesus Christ. And, and honestly, there's, there's so much that we could say about this. We could camp out here for hours. For your sake, I, I won't do that, but here's what I need to tell you. All right, the name Jesus, Jesus means God is our savior. All right, the name Jesus is from the Greek form of the, the Hebrew word Yeshua, which in the Hebrew it means Yahweh saves. And Yahweh is the intimate personal name of God, represented in your English Bibles as the word Lord in all capital letters. And so right off the bat, Matthew says, okay, here's this, this phone book of people. Here's the people that are in Jesus' family tree. Now, let me introduce you to Jesus, who is God our Savior. And again, maybe you're here and you've grown up in the church and you've been around the church for a while and this kind of seems like so elementary, right? You're like, that's pretty basic, right? This is like a 101 class, like what, where are we gonna go with this? But guys, this is so significant because I want you to hear this, like, and you've, you've maybe had these thoughts, like people have told you this, but many people, some people will try to lump Christianity in with other religions, Right, but the truth is, is that Christianity kind of stands alone. Christianity doesn't, doesn't exist in the same category of other world religions. Because if you study the religions of the world, what you find is, is really interesting. Right? Because other religions of the world, every single one of them will teach us how to save ourselves. They will say that you need to live in a certain way. And if you live in this certain way, then God will find you acceptable to him and he will bless you and he will love you. Other religions will teach you that you need to reincarnate. 
and pay off your karmic debt. Many religions will say that you just need to keep a close watch on your life and you need to make sure your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And in the end, as you stand before God, he will look at that and if you did a good job, he will let you into heaven and he will love you. But if not, you're kind of in a bad place. And, and maybe some of you, you, you have those thoughts. This is kind of like the, the framework that you grew up in. This is what your church taught you. This is maybe what your parents had taught you. This is what colleagues have, have said. But I just need you to hear this. The God of the Bible, Christianity, is totally antithetical to that ideology and that theology. Because just by looking at Jesus' name, and not just his name, but the teachings throughout the entire Bible. Hear this, Doxa. It's not that we save ourselves, but it's that God is our Savior. Amen? This is, yeah, I gotta wake you up, right? This is like, this is something worth celebrating because if we have to save ourselves deep down inside every single one of us, we know that we are incapable of being perfect type people. And the name of Jesus is telling us this truth. And Christmas is really just crying out to us and reminding us that we could never get to God in heaven on our own but that God has had to come to you, to me, as the man Jesus. And so his name is Jesus, Jesus Christ. And Christ, this isn't his last name, all right? This isn't the name on the back of the jersey. This is a, this is a title, all right? Christ means like the anointed one, the special one, the chosen one. It means that he is the Messiah, he is God. And again, we hear this and we say, okay, the son of God, like Christ, I, I get it. But here's why this is so significant. Jesus is oftentimes in our world today, he's, he's kind of put into the same group with other great people who have lived throughout the history of the world. And so you start talking about the greatest people who have ever lived and you start talking about Gandhi and Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama and then yeah, Jesus. And they're in the, Jesus stands alone. He is not just a good man, he's the God man. And as we consider Christmas, we're really forced to answer like a massive question that this holiday revolves around, and it's this. All right, in the Advent season, in the Christmas season, there's one big question. What child is this? Right, that a child is born, we know that there was a historical man named Jesus who was born that we get here. What child is this? Who is Jesus? And the answer to that question hangs eternity. But if you ask like a hundred different people that question, you may get a hundred different answers. But if you truly think about it, all right, if you really boil it down, there's really only two logical answers to this question. And the first comes from ancient history and I think is most shockingly summarized in a second century Roman graffito that was found on Palatine Hill in Rome. If you take a look, it's gonna come up here on the screen. But years ago, Lisa and I were, were in Rome and we were standing on Palatine Hill where, where this was found, okay? And it was crazy to be in a place where there was like just so much world history that occurred. But this piece of Roman graffiti is potentially the oldest surviving depiction of the crucifixion of Jesus that we have today. And, and here's what you're seeing, okay? In this picture, Jesus is on the cross. But rather than his head, the painting shows in its place the head of a donkey. And now beneath the crucified Jesus is drawn a young Christian man with his hands raised, worshiping him as God. Now, as you look at this, there's a caption below this, written in Greek, which is translated as Alexamenos, which is this guy's name, worships his God. And maybe you're, you're looking at this picture and you're thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty disrespectful. That's like dishonoring. That's like blasphemous, right? And, and the truth is, is it is. 
Because the message is, is loud and clear right here. And this is the first option to who Jesus is. That Jesus is just a dead jack fill in the blank. He's a dead donkey. And that Christians who worship him are fools. Because if you just think of it logically, okay? Take the Bible, like just think of it just really logically that any attempt to say that Jesus was just a nice guy or a moral teacher is really foolish because he declared himself to be God. And he said that he would die for the sins of the world. And with this, if Jesus is not God, he's not just a decent man. He's not just a good teacher, that he's, he's crazy. He's one of the most damnable, narcissistic men who have ever lived, and Christians who worship him are fools, and this honestly makes no sense why we're here. This is the first option, which this ancient graffiti just so vividly portrays. Now, the second option is, is also rooted in history, and it's found in the Bible, and this option is what we know to be true as, as Christians. We, we see throughout the Bible that Jesus is the Son of God. He's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh with us. He's Emmanuel. We're going to get into this in verse 23 in just a few minutes. And as Jesus was born and he physically lived on the earth, this is the message that he both said and showed. That Jesus spoke clearly of it and then he backed it up by miraculous things that he did. And maybe you've heard the argument about Jesus and you, people will say, Jesus actually never said he was God. I just want you to know that that's like really poor scholarship because if you read the Bible, this is precisely why Jesus was killed. Jesus says in places like before Abraham was, I am. He's declaring himself to be God. And then as he speaks and he lives, he does miraculous things and validates his claims of being God. He raises from the dead. He's seen by hundreds, thousands of people and he validates all of his claims this is Jesus Christ, God our Savior who has come down from heaven. And so Matthew is telling us, here's how the God-man, here's how Jesus came into human history. He's saying, here's the facts, here's the story. This is exactly how it happened. And he continues, look at verse 18. When his mother Mary had, betrothed, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. And I, in your Bible, I want you to circle from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to them in, him in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her, again, underline this next part, is from the Holy Spirit. All right, so, so Matthew is telling us how Jesus was born. And as he does this, he introduces us to, to three key players in this historical account. The first two we meet is a man and a woman named Joseph and Mary. Now, I want you to know there's, there's really nothing too special about these two people, all right? Just normal people. These were simple, just kind of rural folk, right? They were poor. They were powerless. They were just ordinary people. They didn't have power. They didn't have prestige. They didn't have money. But what they did have is they had a heart that loved God. And most likely in this account, Mary and Joseph are, are teenagers. You can probably think junior high, high school age kids. And this might sound weird to us, but in this, these days, like you could be betrothed and engaged as early as 12 years old and married as early as, as 13. But this is where they're at. And Joseph and Mary, they lived in just a small rural town. There was maybe like 100 or 200 people in this town of Nazareth, just a really small isolated town. How many of you guys are from like a small podunk rural town like that? 
All right, well, good job. You got out. Welcome to Madison, okay? So good, nothing wrong with rural towns, okay? So anyway, but we know, okay, watching this, we know from studying history that Joseph was a man who worked as a carpenter. All right, he's just a hardworking, godly guy, working just an honest job, and he's hoping to marry the girl of his dreams. And he does. He, he marries a simple peasant girl named Mary, and while they're betrothed, she gets married. All right, and betrothal is, is very similar to engagement that we know today, but it's, it was way more legally binding in the first century, okay? That, that once you were betrothed, you were legally bound to that person, so to call off an engagement was really the equivalent of divorce. And so once you were betrothed, the only thing left to do was for the woman to come to the man's house so they could physically consummate the marriage, and then they would move in together and they would live together. But this is where they're at. And so Mary, she's just in this place where she's planning her wedding, all right, the invitations have already gone out. The whole town, 100 people, whatever it is, they all know it. They know Joseph and Mary, they're about to get married. And so I just need you to see the scandal of this, okay? So when Matthew says that she got pregnant before they came together, what he's saying is that Mary is not having Joseph's baby. Now, in this, everybody around is looking at Mary and Joseph, and one of two things that people are thinking, okay, either Mary and Joseph like had sex before marriage, which is not a good thing in this culture, and they were freaking out, and it was totally dishonoring, or Mary cheated on Joseph, and she's pregnant with another guy's baby. I mean, just imagine this. This is like an incredibly stressful moment for Joseph. I mean, guys, think about it. Joseph just picked his wife. I mean, he's likely grown up with her, went to church with her, he knows her. They're both virgins, but then all of a sudden, Mary says, hey, like, I'm pregnant. We're pregnant. Now, Joseph's probably thinking, like, okay, I don't have, like, my master's degree in, like, human sexuality. I skipped that day in school, but I don't know if we did what causes that to happen, right? And he, so he's just having these thoughts in his head. And guys, I just want you to think about just how devastating this would be for Joseph, I mean, this is just like a publicly humiliating situation. And the question is like, what, guys, men, what would you do in this situation? Because Joseph is just left with like a horrible decision. What does he do? He could either go publicly and like shame Mary or he could just quietly divorce her. But if you look back, what type of man was Joseph? He was a just man. Some of your translations will say he's a righteous man. He's a godly man and he resolves to divorce her and honor her quietly the best that he can. But then in the midst of this, okay, an angel shows up to Joseph in a dream, and he tells Joseph that this is, and this is where we get, meet the third key player in this account. Look back. An angel tells Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, right? Some of you, you, you grew up in more charismatic churches, and, and you love this, right? You're it's, it's new, not new to you, right? Others of you, you're like, okay, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, like Ghostbusters, I don't know what this is. Here's the, what you need to know. All right, we have a God who exists as a Trinitarian God. That God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God existing in three persons. And here, that God has intervened in a miraculous way and he's done something that has never been done before, will never happen again. And God has come into human history by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be born of a woman as a baby. Now you hear this, right? 
And, and some of you, you're, you know, you just accept it. You've been in church for a long time. You're like, oh, totally, that makes sense. And then the others of you are like, this, how, how does that be? You know, it's a mystery. And while this is like a miracle and very mysterious, and we might not be able to fully comprehend it, here's what I'll tell you. It doesn't negate it as true. I mean, there's tons of things in our world, in our physical world, that, that we don't understand scientifically, but we say, well, this is true. This is the way it works, and we cannot fully wrap our mind around it. But that doesn't negate it. This is the same thing when we consider the birth of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit caused Mary to be pregnant. Theologians, they call this the incarnation, all right, which is really just the Latin word that means in flesh. Okay, so the incarnation is really just that God who is spirit took upon himself human flesh and came as a human being, the man Jesus Christ. And we get this from here, but if you also look at the other gospel accounts, you look at the gospel of John, chapter one, in verses 1 and 14, it says, in the beginning was the word. This is Jesus. This references back to Genesis chapter 1 to say that this is God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John's gospel, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Guys, this is Christmas. That's what incarnation means, that God entered history as the man Jesus, the creator entered creation. And that's why we call him Emmanuel. God with us, verse 23, we'll look at this. And this might be the most massive point when we consider Christmas. The reality that Jesus is in fact God, because Docs, I just want you to know this, I'll speak to you as Christians, if, if Jesus is not God, like everything falls apart. It doesn't make sense here. Christianity, your faith literally stands or falls according to this understanding that if Jesus isn't God incarnate, then he's not just like a normal guy, but he's a despicable guy. He's no, no use to anybody. But if history is correct and the Bible is truthful, which we believe to be the case here at Doxa, and Jesus is in fact God incarnate, then there's pr some pretty amazing implications for every single one of us. And Matthew shows us this as he continues. The angel says, look back to verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, and I want you to underline this next part, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Doc said, this is, this is the prime issue. This is why we celebrate Christmas. And really the only reason that this church exists and why we gather like this right now. And to understand this, we really need to come to the realization that, that every single person in this world, every single one of us here and everybody else out there needs to be rescued and saved. Do you think about your life like that? I mean, do you think about like, as you exist here in Madison, is the prime reality that you're thinking is like, I need to be rescued, I need to be saved. Because this is the truth of the Bible. This is really what Christmas is all about. That every single one of us, every single person in this world is in this position where we might not be aware of it, but there's a sentence of death just hanging over our heads. And we can't save ourselves. And we need someone to come in and do the thing that we cannot do, it's to rescue us, to save us. And this is the backdrop of the story of Jesus' birth. This is the backdrop of the Christmas account. And so if you're wondering why Jesus is, is such a big deal here, and why we talk about Jesus, we sing about Jesus, we pray to Jesus, maybe you forget what Christmas is all about. This is the reason for Jesus' coming that we are all sinners in need of a savior. 
And even the seemingly great and moral and loving and kind people that you know, you need to know that no matter how great they may appear, how, may, how great you may appear and think of yourself, every single one of us, including myself, is messed up and broken with sin and we desperately need a savior. And sin in our lives brings death. This is what the Bible teaches us, spiritual death, because on our own, with our sin, we are separated from God who is really just the source of life. And so apart from him, what this means is that you can be physically alive while being spiritually dead. And if that continues, right, our physical life will go on for what, 70, 80, 90 years if you're lucky, or depending if it keeps on like 2020 and you just wanna end that, right, but anyway, no. Right, but we all will come to an end of our physical life. If we come to the end of our physical life while being spiritually dead as well, this is where we get into eternal separation, the terrible conscious reality of hell, spiritual death apart from God. And Christmas is this one time of year where every single person in the world almost is redirected to this baby. And we're confronted with this truth that there is good news for all people. There is exceeding joy that God has come. And through our Christmas celebrations, God is just trying to break in and help us to see the birth of Jesus in this way, that he is the only way to be saved from Satan, sin, death, and hell, that we cannot save ourselves. And Doxa, I just need to tell you this. Religion will not save you. Church cannot save you. That you can grow up in church, you can be baptized in the church, you can get married in the church, you can be confirmed in the church, you can have your wedding in the church, you can have your funeral in the church, and you can wake up in hell. Church cannot save you. Morality cannot save you. Spirituality cannot save you. Your good deeds will not save you, but Jesus can and Jesus will. Amen? This is Christmas. This is what life is all about, and Christmas is just a reminder that we all need a rescue, and Jesus comes as our Savior to do this for us. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, do you remember this? He says, I come with you of first importance. Paul says more important than anything, more important than everything is this, is that Jesus was born, he died, and he raised for you. Now there is a reason for you to sing. There's a reason for you to rejoice. There's a reason for you to have joy. This is the place we stand in with Christmas. And you know, even as you consider this idea of like the virgin birth, part of the purpose of this, I want you just to listen, is to show us that salvation doesn't come from man, but it comes from God. That salvation is wholly the work of a supernatural God, not the work of natural man. This is Jesus in his birth, it's a rescue mission from God. That he isn't just a, a good man, but he's the God man. He's not just the best among sinners, but he's the savior of sinners. And Matthew goes on to say this, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. I want you to circle that in your Bible, spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I need to explain this to you, okay? One of the first things that we learn about God in the book of Genesis, the book of origins, right, that we've been studying for the last couple months, is that God reveals himself in words, all right, no less than 10 times in the opening chapter of Genesis, it says this, God said. So Doxa, I need to remind you of this. God speaks to us. 
And that great truth is affirmed thousands of times throughout the Bible, and it's really the foundation of the Christian faith. And our relationship begins and gets strengthened as God reveals information about himself to us. And so very practically, every single one of us today, are, you're, you're building your relationship with God as you listen to him speak through his words in the Bible. And this is why it's so important to be in the Bible, right? This is why we teach through the Bible the way that we do, because it's about God's words. It's not about Rob's words. We need his words. This is why we tell you to read the Bible on your own, that not just read your Bible when you sit here on Sundays or in connection group. This is why we say, like, our desire is to be a Bible-saturated church, that if you prick us, we bleed Bible, right? And I need you to know this, okay? Our desire with this is not so that we can, like, create, like, a band of, of traveling Bible nerds and, like, conquer the world with Bible trivia bowls, right? Like, if you do that, that's totally fine, okay? Just don't wear a Doxa shirt, okay? But, no, we love you if you do that stuff. Anyway, our desire for this we want to be a Bible-saturated church so that we can know God. We want to be a Bible-saturated church so we can hear from the God that we love, the God that loves us. We want to be a Bible-saturated church so that we can hear who God says he is, who he's created us to be, to hear how he loves not just the people in this room but the people of this world and how he has designed us to fit into that mission to go see people meet Jesus. This is what it's all about. The Bible is God speaking his truth in human words. And you know, when we consider the Bible, we're, we're talking about a book that was written over the period of about 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And while the Bible is like 66 different books, it's really just one story about one man, one main point, Jesus Christ, the baby that we're considering here on Christmas. That every page of every book of your Bible ultimately points you to Jesus Christ. And as Matthew talks about the prophet here, if you look back, right, he's referencing a prophecy that was given 700 years before the birth of Jesus by a man named Isaiah. And throughout the entire Old Testament, there are numerous like prophetic promises that are given about Jesus promising future events. And, and I need to pull out of this and say this, Doxa, there is no other world religion, there is no other cult that can present any specific prophecies concerning the coming of their prophet. But throughout the Bible, we see hundreds of fulfilled prophecies extending over hundreds of years, sometimes a thousand years into the future, showing God that he is sovereign over all that will happen throughout time in the future. And when it comes to Jesus, all right, this is so interesting because some scholars believe that there are more than 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And these prophecies are, are specific enough that, that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is staggeringly improbable, if not Im impossible. All right, there was a guy named Peter Stoner, okay? He was the chairman of the Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College. He was really intrigued by, by the prophecies in the Bible and how Jesus fulfilled them. And so he took 600 of his students, and Stoner and these students, they looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus. And they came up with an extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled, and, when, and then considered the, the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of these prophecies. And the conclusion to his research was just staggering, okay? The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power. And here's how Stoner explains it, and I quote, 
He says, let us try and visualize this chance, this probability. Suppose that we take silver dollars and lay them all over the face of Texas, covering the entire state two feet deep. Now take one of those silver dollars and put a mark on it and stir the entire mass thoroughly all over the state. Then take a blindfolded man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but must pick up the marked silver dollar as the right one. What chance would he have of getting that one thing right? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies of Jesus fulfilling them. Here's the, here's the point. These prophecies that Jesus fulfilled throughout his life cause us to like kind of stop and just consider like maybe this isn't just a man. Maybe this is the God man. I mean, this is one of the great compelling truths of the identity of Jesus and the truthfulness of the Bible because you really cannot argue with history. People said this and it happened. I mean, you don't have to be spiritual to say, oh, this was said and this happened, right? It just, it just happened. And this is one of the great compelling truths around Christmas. And the prophecy that Matthew quotes here is, is likely going to be on a lot of your Christmas cards that are going to be sent to you. Hallmark loves this. Look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, this is, this is a, a quote from Isaiah 7:14, all about Jesus. And I, and I just want you to see what we have here, guys. It's not that we ascend up to God, but it's that God descends down to us. It's not that we pursue God, but it's that God is pursuing us. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. So I have to just tell you that Christmas demands that we just speak truthfully. Docs, that Jesus alone is God. He's God with us. He's God for us. He's got the God who saves us. That we have sinned against this God, but in love, out of love, by his grace, He's chosen in great humility to enter into our story, into our mess, into our brokenness, to live his life for us without sin, to die a death because of our sin, and to raise back to life to help us to achieve the one thing we could never get on our own, forgiveness of our sin and reconciliation relationship with God. And this is why, this is why we can say, Merry Christmas, amen? This is what it's about. There's reason to celebrate. There's reason to have joy. This is our Jesus. Now, the incarnation didn't just happen to merely let us know that, that God exists. But hear this. It happened to bring him near so that he could be with us and we with him. And so here's the question I want to ask you. Are you with him? Like, do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Because there is a massive difference in that question. And how you answer it literally hangs eternity. And I don't say that, guys. You, those of you who know me, like, my posture up here is just like, like a dying man speaking to dying men and women. I'm just like, I'm not trying to yell and make anybody feel uncomfortable, but I'm just saying, like, here's the truth. Like, take it and figure out what to do with it. God loves you. I love you enough to tell you this. But God is just waiting for you to respond. He's brought you here. He continues to bring you here, not by chance, but so that you can meet him. He's pursuing you. He's come with you. Emmanuel, God with us. So my question is, is what's keeping you from responding to him today? 
want you just to think about that. And this is where we'll end. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Christmas reminds us that it's all about Jesus. Everything is centered on Jesus. History is about Jesus. Our lives are about Jesus. And at this point, with the birth of Jesus, it's all culminating, and God has come to save us. And Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born so that we could be born again. This is ultimately Christmas. And when I met Jesus, I was 23 years old. And I can tell you personally and practically that Jesus didn't just make a difference in world history, but he made a very profound difference in my personal history. That my entire life has been completely transformed and redeemed by the person, the power, and the work of Jesus. And Christmas is an invitation for you to have that same story. It's all about Jesus. He's with us. We have a great God and Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And Christians, I hope you find great comfort and joy remembering all that God has done to be with you, right? Because we can just like cruise right past Christmas and be like, oh yeah, Jesus, he came. That's great. God did all of this for you. And for those of you who are not yet in the family of God through faith in Jesus, my, my hope and prayer is that you would say yes to Jesus, that he could take your sin and he could give you his righteousness and bring you into the family and you could begin to sing and to celebrate and to worship like never before. Let's pray. God, thanks for every single person that you've brought here today. Thanks for your words to us through the Bible. God, I, I thank you and I love you. You're, you're with me. God, I think about just who I used to be and how like I was running far away from you, how I was stuck in sin, how I was just like a pathetic excuse for a man, but you looked at me not with disgust, but out of love. And you came for me. And thank you that that's so many of our stories in this room. And so Holy Spirit, I just ask that you just help us to remember how great the gospel sounded that first time when we said yes to Jesus. And would you help those that are here that do not know you, would you help them to understand your love, to experience your love? And help them to take another step towards you. Thank you for loving every single one of us. Thank you for that this Christmas story shows us this. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to stand up. We're going to take communion. You guys got one of these when you walked in. Go ahead and grab it. For those of you at home, you can go grab your crackers, juice, whatever you got. We're going to take communion together. And as we do this, all right, I want to have you listen to verse 22 again. And this is what it says. All this took place, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, the miraculous work of God. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Doc, so here's what you need to know. The God that we worship made a promise through the prophet Isaiah that was fulfilled 700 years later in the virgin birth of Jesus. And based on this picture, we can be sure that this same God will also prove to be faithful to every single one of us today. You understand that? God makes promises throughout the Bible. We get one of them here in Matthew. And he's good on his promises. And there's so much joy that can come from this. And so when God says in places like Hebrews 13 that I will never leave you or forsake you, guys, that is a guarantee. Some of you, you might feel like you're, you're walking through life completely alone. You aren't. God is with you. He promises it. He's faithful. When he says in Psalm 46 that he is your refuge and your strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble, you can bank on that. That you might feel hopeless. You might feel like you don't know where to turn, especially in 2020, and you might feel like you're just slugging it out alone. He's there. He's a refuge. He's with you. Emmanuel. When he says in Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can be confident in his sustaining power. Amen? This is our Jesus. And when he says in Revelation 21 that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and that death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This too is a guarantee. This is the light at the end of the tunnel that we set our eyes on all because of Jesus. This is Christmas. Merry Christmas, Doxa. This is our Jesus and he is worthy. Is he not? This is him. Doxa, God has come near to you so that you can come near to him. And as we take communion, we remember and celebrate this, that Jesus came into a sin-stained world to endure the penalty for our sin and to stand in the place of every single one of us. He was born to live, but ultimately to go to a cross and die for you. And his body was broken, his blood was shed, so that you and I could be rescued and saved. This is the good news of the incarnation. This is the good news of Christmas and communion represents and reminds us of this. So, so I want you to tear off that top part and I want you to grab that little piece of bread. And I want you just to hold it in your hand and just think and thank God for sending Jesus, that his body was broken for you body of Christ for you, Doxa. And I want you to take the juice in the same way. Thank God. Thank him that by his blood, by his wounds, we are healed, that we have a savior, that he has paid for our sin. And there's a reason to sing now. The blood of Christ for you, Doxa. Thank him. that you tell us to do, like to love you with all of our heart and to love the people of the world. Jesus, you're worthy. 
and we worship you. And we just thank you. We pray this in your name.